With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. California's cage-free rule creates financial headaches for egg farmers. California egg farmers say they have been hit hard by cost of going cage-free, as is now required under state law. Many say the demands are causing them to miss out on high current egg prices. John Lewis Jr., who's president of Farmer John Egg Farm in Bakersfield, says the operation will close at the end of this month because it can't afford $4 million to $5 million in costs to retrofit the farm to comply with the new law. Frank Hilliker of San Diego says he's producing about half of his normal eggs because some barns aren't yet compliant. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into our show headlines. The House Ag Committee Republicans set their roster. House Ag Committee Republicans started the week by announcing the committee's roster for the 118th Congress. Glenn G.T. Thompson of Pennsylvania serves as the chair of the committee. The roster features 12 new members, which include returning member Frank Lucas of Oklahoma. Lucas previously chaired the committee from 2011 to 2015, and he led the committee during the development of the 2014 Farm Bill. Other notable new members include John Duarte of California. Duarte's district covers much of the San Joaquin and Central Valley, stretching from Modesto down to Kalinga and Los Panos to Madera. Duarte is a pistachio farmer and nurseryman. Duarte was also the subject of a high-profile lawsuit filed by the Environmental Protection Agency under the Clean Water Act, also known as WOTUS. The dispute ended in 2017 with Duarte agreeing to pay a civil penalty and preserve and restore streams and wetlands on his farm. Also representing California on the committee is returning Representative Doug LaMalfa, who covers District 1. Democrats have not announced the selection of members of their committee. And we'll have more on changes to the congressional committees in just a moment, as Zagnet West Brian German has more agriculture news now. Changes continue to be made to congressional committees that will impact farming. Senior Government Relations Representative with the National Cotton Council, Robbie Minnick, outlines how the 118th Congress is shaping up. The Republican Steering Committee met this week and elected the new chairman of both the Ways and Means and the Budget Committee. The Ways and Means Committee is very important to agriculture. It handles all tax policy as well as all trade policy. The other one that I mentioned is the House Budget Committee, and that committee will be vitally important to see what the budget will be for the next Farm Bill. The Steering Committee will meet next week to name the Republican members of other committees. So whenever you look at the members of the Agriculture Committee that were on their last Congress that then were named as new members to A committees, we could have upwards of 13 new members out of probably 28 on the Republican side of the House Agriculture Committee. The 2023 Sacramento River District Pair Research Meeting is coming up next month in Walnut Grove. Sponsored by the UC Cooperative Extension Capital Corridor MCP, California Pear Advisory Board, and Pear Pest Management Research Fund, the meeting will be taking place at the Walnut Grove Library on February 7th, beginning at 10 a.m. The first part of the meeting will feature information on rootstocks and orchard systems for European pears, Pear Genomics Research Network website support, and the development of a trans-free gene editing system in European pear. Following the break, there will be updates on brown marmorated stink bug trapping in Lake and Mendocino counties, controlling pear scab with fungicides, and information about new bactericides for control of fire blight in pears. 
More information on the meeting is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says the new ag trade team of Alexis Taylor and Doug McCaleb is now in place, ready to get results for U.S. producers. Taylor and McCaleb were both confirmed to their trade posts by the Senate last month. Taylor to head the USDA's Foreign Ag Service as Undersecretary for Trade, and McCaleb as Chief Ag Negotiator at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. Vilsack spoke recently on finally having a trade team in place halfway through the Biden administration. Having Alexis Taylor uh, now as the Undersecretary gives us the opportunity to expand significantly the reach uh, of our efforts, gives us someone with experience both in terms of having worked at USDA before in the Foreign Act Service, as well as having been the Director of Agriculture for the state of Oregon that was very much focused on trade. While Doug McCaleb has left the USDA as a top advisor to Vilsack. While we are sad to, to, uh, to lose Doug McCaleb, who uh, has done an amazing job as a career person here at USDA, I think he is primed to be an extraordinary helper and assistant to Ambassador Ty at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, and I think it's going to ensure that we have a champion for U.S. agriculture. While lawmakers of both parties complain President Biden has taken too long to get his ag trade team in place and opted against new market opening trade deals, Vilsack points to two back-to-back record years in ag trade. The secretary credits USDA trade shows and foreign market assistance, as well as development programs. U.S. and European Union trade leaders Tuesday signed the U.S.-EU Tariff Rate Quota Agreement. The agreement, once implemented, will enable the United States to preserve its existing access to the EU market for various agricultural commodities following the United Kingdom's exit from the EU on January 1st of 2021. The new tariff rate quota allocations are based on the historic pattern of agricultural exports to the 27 EU member states. The agreement will restore favorable market access for multiple U.S. agricultural products, including for U.S. rice, almonds, wheat, and corn, according to the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. In the first 11 months of 2022, the United States exported $11.1 billion worth of agricultural goods to the EU. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai, as well as Sweden's permanent representative to the EU and the European Commission Deputy Director for General Agriculture and Rural Development, all signed the agreement. USDA officials will lead a springtime agricultural trade mission focused on the Netherlands and parts of Europe. Ryan Brewster of the Foreign Agricultural Service gives us some details. 
So the trade mission to the Netherlands is taking place April 17th through the 20th. We're going to be there in Amsterdam for that time. And we're really inviting all small and medium U.S. agribusiness exporters to apply if they think they have a product that would be viable. There's several products that we're actually looking to try to promote. We have everything from forestry products, beef products, dairy products, fish and seafood, tree nuts, other kind of processed products like confectionaries, condiments, sauces, and then even things like distilled spirits, wine and craft beers all have a real market there in the Netherlands in Northern Europe. The application process um, is a pretty simple application process. And they can log on to the foreign agricultural website, fas.usda.gov, and there's a trade mission page there. There's a quick couple page application, talk about the products that you have and the things that you're looking to do. And we're asking people to submit those applications by Thursday, January 26th. House Agriculture Chairman Glenn G.T. Thompson will keynote the inaugural Plant-Based Products Council annual conference in March. The Pennsylvania Republican will share remarks on Congress's priorities for the 2023 Farm Bill, growing the bioeconomy, rural economic development, and fostering innovation in agriculture. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, last week the National Pork Producers Council joined 16 other ag organizations in asking representatives of the U.S., Canada, and Mexico at the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City to strengthen North American trade and ag products through the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, otherwise known as USMCA. In a statement issued at the meeting, the U.S. Ag Group said the USMCA provides the world's best framework for implementing science and risk-based policies to promote the adoption of technology that advances food security, ag sustainability, and rural prosperity, and to foster a variety of cost-effective food choices to our consumers. Now, the organizations urge the three countries to use USMCA committees to share and align on best practices and to ensure differences are addressed in a timely manner. They also ask that ag-related trade disputes like Mexico's proposed ban on biotech corn and other ag technologies be resolved quickly. MPPC notes that all of this does matter because of the robust ag trade among the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, initially fostered by the 1994 North America Free Trade Agreement. The three countries have the largest trilateral ag trade relationship in the world, positioning North America as a critical region for supporting global food security. Mexico and Canada are the number two and number four export markets, respectively, for the U.S. pork industry. If you'd like more information about this, you can go to the National Pork Producers Council website, nppc.org. And the annual cattle industry convention is just two weeks away. It'll be held in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this year, it, of course, will showcase the industry's sustainability efforts. They note that cattle producers across the country will be reaffirming their commitment to protecting environmental resources, along with supporting communities and creating an economically viable future through effective management practices. There will be a Beef Sustainability Forum. The event will be moderated by National Cattlemen's Beef Association CEO Colin Woodall. The panel discussion will include opening remarks from Katie Cook, Alanco's Vice President of Global Farm Animal Innovation and U.S. Farm Animal Marketing. It'll also feature John Ferry, the co-owner of J.Y. Ferry & Son Incorporated of Corrin, Utah, 
the 2021 national winner of the Environmental Stewardship Award. Also, Tom McDonald, Senior Vice President of Environmental Affairs and Sustainability for Five Rivers Cattle Feeding. Drake Yon, Farm Operations Manager at Yon Family Farms in Ridgebreen, South Carolina. The 2008 national winner of the Environmental Stewardship Award Program. And Sarah Place, Ph.D. Associate Professor and Feedlot System Specialist at Colorado State University. In addition to the sustainability forum, they know convention attendees can find sustainability-focused educational sessions in the NCBA trade show floor. To learn more about all of this and about the Cattle Industry Convention, go to convention.ncba.org. That's www.convention.ncba.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of today's agriculture news right now. There's a shift in rural jobs. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. Over the last two decades, the strongest rural job gains were in smaller industries that tend to employ high-skilled workers. USDA Economic Research Service reports the highest growth was in the real estate industry. Also showing rapid growth was the administrative services industry, which includes office administration, facility support, business support services, security services, conventions and trade shows, and waste management and treatment. Other rural industries that grew over the past two decades were healthcare and social assistance, professional, scientific, and technical services, educational services, and finance and insurance. The growth of these industries represented a shift in rural production toward industries that employ higher shares of high-skill workers. Consistent with this shift, the percent of rural college-educated workers increased from 21.5% in 2012 to 23.8% in 2019. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Ag activities are often subject to government regulation. In 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court clarified that regulatory agencies can't make policy decisions through rulemaking. That has major implications for farming and ranching activities. I'll be back in a moment with the details. Kansas State University is one of the nation's leading ag schools, and now in-state tuition rates are available for students from every state. Applications for the fall semester, though, are due February 1st. Go to ag.ksu.edu to learn more. I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm to ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. 
In 2015, the EPA adopted rules establishing a regulatory shift in energy production from coal and natural gas electricity generation to wind and solar. The basic issue was whether the EPA had the authority to change the manner of energy production in the U.S. by regulation. In 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court said it did not because the Congress had not specifically stated in the Clean Air Act that EPA could. The court said that EPA could regulate equipment upgrades and improve operating practices but not overhaul the entire means of U.S. energy production. It's up to the Congress to do that. The decision lays the groundwork for future limitations on regulations from all administrative agencies in the absence of explicit congressional authorization when a major issue is involved. This major question doctrine is an exception to the general rule of deference that the courts give to administrative agencies. Now, when an agency gets into issues of major national significance, it doesn't have any authority to regulate. It's up to the Congress to make the policy decisions, not administrative agencies. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Many an ode to rivers have been put into song. Even rivers singing about a river or something like that. Spoilers! And yes, a river song who several TV and streaming viewers know well. Yet you may be hard pressed to find music about atmospheric rivers. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey, what is that anyway? An atmospheric river event is described as a mid to upper level flow of moisture originating typically over the central Pacific Ocean and moving eastward or northeastward into the west coast of North America. And since Christmas time last year, a series of atmospheric rivers have made landfall in northern and central California. And that has led to not only considerable drought relief, but also some short-term impacts that are not as positive. The positive has been significant mountain snowpack accumulations in the Sierra Nevada range over the past month plus. Necessary to recharge water reservoir levels impacted by multi-year drought. During recent storminess, we've seen the water equivalency of the Sierra Nevada snowpack increasing to greater than 20 inches. We could, by mid-January, see a snowpack that is very close to what you would expect to accumulate during an entire winter season, October to March. 30 inches of water equivalency in snowpack, the annual average for a normal water year in the Sierra Nevada. On the opposite end of atmospheric river impacts, dealing with flash flooding, mudslides, debris flows, especially on burn scarred hillsides, as well as increased ground saturation, which expanded from flash flooding to river flooding. Something Rippy says has not happened in the Golden State in several years. Two mid-January examples of river crest records set in California. The Salinas River at Paso Robles, California, cresting a little more than three feet above flood stage on January 9th. And that has exceeded the all-time record crest that was set back in January 1969. Also in Merced, California, on early morning of the 10th, we saw an all-time record crest on Bear Creek, which is a tributary of the San Joaquin River. Atmospheric 
Arctic River events are expected to continue through this month, although Rippy notes a possible shift in direction. The fire hose, the atmospheric rivers that have been pointed directly at California may begin to shift a bit more towards Oregon and Washington and the Northern Rockies. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. Social Security benefits and supplemental security income payments are increasing 8.7% in 2023. This is the annual cost of living adjustment required by law, according to AARP Oklahoma State Director Sean Voskel. Rampant inflation produced an 8.7% cost of living adjustment for Social Security beneficiaries in 2023, the biggest percentage jump since 1981. That translates into a $146 boost in the average monthly retirement benefit. Unfortunately, that means scammers are more eager than ever to steal money from seniors. Voskel says scams include robocalls, letters, and more. Scammers who impersonate Social Security Administration officials are adapting their pitches to the 8.7% increase, claiming targets have to pay a fee or provide personal or financial data to get their bigger benefits. They are trying to trick beneficiaries into providing personally identifiable information. However, the increase is automatic and recipients don't need to take any action to receive it. Voskel offers these tips for when you think you might be contacted by a scammer. Scammers seek to cause a strong emotional response. So stop and think. Better yet, hang up or ignore the message. Don't transfer money, be skeptical, and don't provide personal or financial data, even if the caller has some of your information already. Block unwanted calls and text messages, and don't click on links or attachments in texts or emails from unfamiliar senders. Learn more Thursday night at 9 p.m. Central Time on RFD-TV or online at aarp.org forward slash AARP Live. Michael Clements reporting. Bottom line analysts say perhaps the best example of a commodity that's benefiting from a slowdown and eventual end to interest rate hikes is gold, up nearly 20% since November, leading the rebound declining dollar index down 12% since last September. Now, in addition, bottom line analysts say increased gold imports to China and India are likely to continue. Gold imports to those two countries the last two years, roughly 600 tons below average levels. Now, nearby gold reached a low of $1,630 back on November the 3rd. 
but seemed to find a lot of resistance near 1950. We would be a buyer any dips below the 1878 level. We're not saying that gold is going to be a runaway and move to new highs, but certainly there are opportunities when the market moves lower, as we've seen this week. This is the Bottom Line Report. The first ever Crop Nutrition Week being brought to you by AgriLiquid. It's a virtual week of learning. It starts February 6th and runs through the 10th. Learn more and register at CropNutritionWeek.com. CropNutritionWeek.com. We see live cattle and lean hog futures oversold in here, ready for a rebound. That's our bottom line. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. Ah, yes. Many folks think of the 1970s as the good old days of disco. Uh But if you did the food shopping back then, it was anything but the good old days when it came to coping with rising prices for food. In fact, prices were going up so fast, so much, that it was a national problem, a national issue. So much so that the Agriculture Department's top economist at that time, Howard Yort, had to call weekly press conferences on the situation. Now, let's go back and listen to him January of 1980 talking about the food price hikes that we had been dealing with. In the first quarter of 1979, we had an increase of 17.7% annual rate. 17%? Well, things have finally settled down, and most years food price increases average about 2% a year. There were a couple of years when food prices on average dropped a little bit from the year before. But then we get to last year, 2022. 2022 was a period of very rapid food price increases. They were large, and for many of us that were born after the early 80s, food price increases that we hadn't seen before. And would rather not see again, of course. That was Matt McLaughlin. He's a U.S. Department of Agriculture economist whose mission, whether he accepts it or not, is to track these food price hikes, try to predict them month by month, and to answer silly questions about food prices from irksome reporters like me. A uh, job of great joy, uh, right, Matt? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yes, of course. So uh, Matt says for food bought at the grocery store last year, we shoppers saw on average an 11.4% increase. Again, that's averaged over all food items, none of which dropped in price from the year before, some of which shot up a lot more than that, some more moderately. On that score, the moderate side, we saw food price increases as low as 5.3% for beef and veal. But on the high side, egg prices last year going up an average of 32% over 2021. And in December, eggs were almost 60% higher than December a year earlier. This due mainly to an ongoing outbreak of bird flu, which has really cut egg production. Egg prices were at the extreme end of food price inflation, but other products were costing also a lot more. Cereal and bakery products, for one example. We saw a 13% increase for this category, and this was largely driven by conflicting Ukraine, fertilizer shortages, and other things that impacted the international wheat market. That's just one example. Matt has given me a list of nine major food categories whose prices rose at least 10% last year, making it a pretty tough year for food shoppers. But what about this year, 2023? We do expect food prices to continue to increase into 2023. However, we expect that the rate of this increase will lie well below uh, the very rapid food price increases we saw in 2022. A food inflation rate may be averaging about 4% or so. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. 
This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of today's agriculture news right now. Today's specialty crop news brought to you by the Almond Board of California. You can find them online at almonds.com. Vice President of Global Market Development for the Almond Board, Emily Fleischman, joins us today to talk a little bit about uh, some of the work the Almond Board's doing to help expand the market opportunities for almonds. And now, Emily, you had been part of uh, several panels at the um, Almond Conference last month, uh, just touching on a variety of different efforts underway. So um, let's just start uh, from the top here with uh, what your team does and, and some of the markets you're actively engaging in. Yes. Well, so my team, as you said, oversees the global market development investments. So our our focus first becomes on figuring out the right markets to invest in. Currently, uh, we have 10 markets across the globe. So some in North America, obviously the U.S. and then Mexico. In Europe, we're in France, Italy, the U.K. and Germany, India and China, South Korea and Japan. And now uh, with those markets, um, what are some of the approaches taken? Because each individual market is going to be a little bit different. So what are we finding that's um, maybe having the most success in some of these different markets and some of the work that you guys are doing on that front? Yeah, Brian, we go into every market and in each one, we identify what target audience we think has the most upside in terms of volume potential um, in changing their behavior to consume more almonds. And then we develop programs customized to that audience. Uh, We look for groups that can give us a broad reach, but also the ones that we think we can impact. And so it does look different. Um, In the U.S., we have a focus on wellness. We're trying to reach a younger millennial consumer who, you know, has a lot of options as they look at health healthy eating. And they also have this broader definition of wellness than what Gen X and the baby boomers have had. It includes mental health um, and just an overall well-being. So we, our positioning is to attempt to reach them and share the message about how almonds fit their definition of wellness. In India, we leverage the cultural connection that that population has to almonds. Many moms will serve, you know, a handful, say three to five almonds that have been soaked overnight to their children before they head off to school to help them perform well. And we leverage that um, as kind of an inroad to consumers, but then also educate them about all the other amazing benefits that almonds can bring to their life. Um, And in our Eastern Asian countries, so China, South Korea, and Japan, we use a beauty focus. But but almonds have the highest vitamin E content of any nut. And so we really use that to promote this idea of beauty from within. And with kind of the tailored messaging that you're trying to get across in these different markets, um, some of the approaches themselves seem to be um, 
pretty diverse in, in terms of partnerships and, and who you're working with. So maybe you can elaborate on uh, not just different messages, but the way that those messages are being delivered. Well, as we look at our target audience, we do try to figure out what is going to be most the best, most optimal way to reach them. And so it does look different. Um, but in all the markets, we use a mix of touch points. And, and in a lot, in most of the markets, we do have a pretty deep investment into social media. That's a great way to reach a broad array of consumers and you can target really well. Uh, we also use influencers in every market, but it's about finding that right influencer that, that really has credibility with your audience and that we believe can um, represent the industry well. And then you'll also see that we have activity that crosses markets. So this past year, we did a partnership with Marvel. Uh, many of your listeners may know about this, uh, to promote the launch and release of their movie, Thor Love and Thunder, and California Almonds uh, together. Um, and we were able to do that across India, the UK, Italy, Mexico, and the US. So five of our 10 markets where we felt that it was the right match for the target audience um, and our message. Well, very good. And now um, it was noted that, you know, now some of the other nuts are starting to catch up with some of the nutritional value and uh, kind of compete on that front. But uh, it seems like the Almond Board has quite a bit of a track record of research and, and development in, in looking at some of those um, nutritional aspects. And just kind of based on where we've been the past couple years with the uh, importance of nutrition and eating healthy. How are almonds fixed in terms of, um, you know, there, there was a video noting that almonds are, are making headway into a variety of different products. And how is the nutritional aspect of that really playing a role in, in keeping almonds competitive and, and finding new and innovative ways to use them and apply them in, in other products? Well, we like to talk about the health halo of almonds here at the Almond Board, and, and really that health halo is founded on the nearly 20 or 20 plus years of nutrition research the Almond Board has been doing that started with heart health and went into weight management and has evolved into many, many spaces, including most recently wrinkles research and skin health. But yes, all nuts and a lot of foods actually have started investing in nutrition research during that point in time. And so, you know, there's a health credentials of many foods have increased. Um, so what we're continuing to try to do is ensure that we are investing in new areas. So health areas that may be relevant for consumers as they move forward that may not have been as interesting or relevant uh, 10, 5, even 5 years ago. So spaces related to sleep and gut health um, and continuing to invest in uh, things like skin health and wrinkle research. So we think that those will continue to allow us to kind of stay above the group in terms of our health credentials and keep that health halo strong. Um, and then we bring that message to consumers in a variety of ways of using public relations to get third parties to spread that message. We've That has been very successful for us, but also leveraging influencers and even all of our campaigns leverage a health message underlying um, the overall ad. And just lastly here, in terms of kind of looking forward and, and looking what might be on the horizon, what is the Almond Board maybe excited about in terms of uh, maybe future potential growth or maybe new markets or making some um, making some headway in existing markets? What what might be on the horizon there? 
oh, I don't want to unveil all of our secrets, but I will say every year we do a deep evaluation of the markets that we're in to try to make sure that with the funds we have available, we have the right portfolio. So there are some new markets that we're looking into. We think there's still tremendous potential um, in the markets that we're in, um, whether it be China or India or even honestly the U.S. So more to come there and we're continuing to build our learnings and some of the innovative things we've been doing across the globe, whether it's the Marvel partnership or reaching consumers in new ways with our research-related outreach to refine that. So I think over the next two years, we'll have some really exciting things to share with the industry. Uh, but right now might be a little too early. Thanks, Brian. And stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at Statewide Agriculture News at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4H.org. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. In today's Modern Ag Report, Farm Bureau encouraging farmers to respond to the Census of Agriculture. Farmers and ranchers have a few weeks left to respond to the Census of Agriculture. Here's Michael Clements with why your response matters. The Census of Agriculture provides the only source of uniform, comprehensive, and impartial agriculture data for every state and county in the nation, according to American Farm Bureau Federation Vice President of Public Policy, Sam Kiefer. The Census of Agriculture is done every five years. It covers all of agriculture production, and it's the one and only complete count of farms and ranches in America and the people who operate them. Kiefer says the data from the survey is used to shape local and federal decisions. It's used by lawmakers, not only at the federal level, but also at state and local level, to make important decisions that impact rural communities. The Census of Agriculture is also used by organizations like Farm Bureau and those who advocate on behalf of farm and ranch families. It's also used by community planners and others making decisions that impact how land is uh, used at the local level. And federal law means your data must remain confidential. Farmers and ranchers are concerned about their farm data, and understandably so. But the USDA, and in this case particularly, it's the National Agriculture Statistics Service. They are bound by federal law to keep data secure, and they only publish the data in aggregated terms. So no individual names or addresses or identifying features are released in any of the data. Instead, it is truly just aggregated information that is put out for public use. Farmers and ranchers have until February 6th to respond to the Census of Agriculture. Any questions should be directed to your local USDA office. Michael Clements, Washington. Thanks, Michael. Reporting for Agnet West Radio Network, I'm Danielle Leal. After a three-week period of significant precipitation in the Golden State, it's also a time when we finally are seeing a break in this seemingly incessant storminess that has been affecting California. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says cooler temperatures and drier conditions are expected to continue through at least month's end, providing a break from a period that saw well above normal mountain snowpack accumulations in the Sierra Nevada, but also... What has happened here is this rain 
over the last three plus weeks has come so quickly, so fast that the water systems and a lot of this water in California and elsewhere in the West is managed water, meaning that it's stored in reservoirs and it's in systems that are not native. Rippy adds some smaller reservoirs can't handle the influx of water, which has created controlled flood situations and impacts on some ag lands, such as specialty crop production areas. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Spanish and English sessions offered at Activate 23. Activate, AgSafe's annual Ag Health and Safety Workplace Conference, will be offering multiple sessions and trainings in both English and Spanish. President and CEO Teresa Keen shares the specifics. So I'm really excited. Um, this year we have a safety and human resources track for uh, uh, dedicated in Spanish. And also we've got our regulatory compliance. We always make that track available via simultaneous translation. And so that way you can hear directly from the regulatory agencies. Um, in addition, um, we also provide our safety certificate program is also offered in Spanish. And that's, uh, that's a very popular um, training to send your workforce to. And all of our keynotes and all of our other sessions that we are together as a group, simultaneous translation is always a part of that program. I want to ensure that everyone has the same opportunities to hear the information that we're receiving and to be able to interact um, in, in the conference. To gather more information on those sessions, you can visit agsafe.org. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.